1: Attention all cars, attention all Contra County, Contra Costa County Sheriff's Cars, broadcast 117. All cars pick up any person attempting to watch watches or diamonds, or having blood stains on the clothing. Such a person may be the murderer of Harry Whitted, a jeweler of Crockett, who was murdered this morning in his store. That's all. It starts in Northern California, where two of the largest cities, Oakland and Berkeley, specify that all police, fire, and emergency cars must use Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline exclusively. The play ends in Phoenix, Arizona, where all sheriff's cars of Maricopa County are also powered by Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline. In fact, everywhere it is sold, Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline powers more police and emergency cars than any other brand. Leading cities specify Rio Grande because their tests have proved that the exclusive, fastest cracking process makes the liveliest, fastest, and most powerful gasoline. Rio Grande's cracking actually breaks up the atoms so that every drop burns without waste. And now Rio Grande has added extra refining processes which extract all lazy, sluggish elements from cracked gasoline, leaving concentrated energy. These costly extra processes give Rio Grande Cracks the extra speed and power which you know as police car for Although it costs us more per gallon to make this finer gasoline, it costs you no more. And now it is our great pleasure to present Sheriff Miller of Contra Costa County will speak to you from the studios of station KFRC in San Francisco, Gareth Miller. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Much of the work of catching a criminal is just that, work hard work, days upon days of it, work that is done in quiet, undramatic offices, work that comes off the mimeographing machine, and that is done through m- microscopes, work that takes the form of countless questions on scores of worthless leads. It is often discouraging, tiring, brain-breaking work. But there is one thing which cheers the peace officer, no matter how low his spirits may drop, and that is the knowledge of the fact that sooner or later the criminal must meet his accounting with a law. The knowledge of the truth of the truism. Crime doesn't pay. Listen carefully to the story you are about to hear. See what happened to this man who committed murder and escaped leaving behind him no tangible clue, escaped with thousands of dollars of valuables. Listen carefully to his story. See how he profited by his spoil. And note the circumstances under which he was captured. And then,
2: 30 minutes from now, ask yourself if you honestly believe that crime can ever pay. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Sheriff's office. And the sheriff. This is Sheriff Veal speaking. This is Constable Mooney over. the skull, any one of which could have caused death. And as you see, he's been nearly decapitated. Find any clues, Constable? No fingerprints at all, sir. A lot of stuff stolen, though. If you get an inventory of the stock... Probably can. Well, I don't know. Harry was very careful about keeping books. Yes, but he's dead. Who would know about his business? Well, there's Mrs. Withers. Has she been notified? Not yet. I was waiting for you. Well, you better notify us what's happened. Right away, Oh, Wait just a minute. Remove the body to the coroner's office first and clean up the blood. No use in needlessly torturing the poor woman. Yes, sir. While you're taking care of that constable, I'll flash the state teletype and the radio to look for a suspect with blood-stained clothes. Over police radio and along the state police teletype the news of the crime is carried to every police officer in California. Special railroad agents are notified, and the State Highway Patrol throws a cordon of armed officers around Ponca Costa County. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Constable Meany goes the painful task of informing Mrs. Whitted of her husband's murder. The gentle lady, prostrated with grief, nevertheless manages to pull herself together when the Constable explains that the officers are in need of her help in their work of apprehending the killer. A little while later, she accompanies the constable to her husband's door. Yes, Mrs. Liz is Mrs. you. I appreciate your coming down at this time, Mrs. Whitted. I hate to have to request your assistance, but every moment counts.
3: Yes, I, I understand, Sheriff. Yes. I'm quite willing to help you. Although I don't know what good it will do. We'll have it gone.
1: Well, we must do everything we can to catch mu- the criminal.
3: Was he? Didn't he? He died quickly, Sheriff. Oh, what's he in the
1: I'm sure he died quickly, ma'am.
3: Well, why can't I see him? The consequences would be of all Just
1: a matter of form, ma'am. He's a foreigner, not up you know. You may see him soon. He,
3: he was all I had, Sheriff. All I had in this world.
1: Was, ma'am, I, I understand. <laughs> now, if you would just answer a few questions, Olivia.
3: Yes, of course. Uh, I'm sorry, Sheriff.
1: Now, apparently, many things have been stolen from the showcases, and the safe has been rifled.
3: Yes, yes, there are several things, Missy. I can tell. Right there in that trail is where my husband always put the watch with the hunting case. It, it was a good watch. But nobody buys hunting cases anymore. But I, I guess he had that one in Stockport. Yes, no, yes.
1: Yes, yes. But what we want to know is, Mrs. Whitton... Did your husband keep an inventory of his stock? Is there any way of telling what is gone?
3: Oh, oh yes. There's a ledger in the safe with every item in it. Yes, here it is. There, there you see. Here are the rings for the must. The length, size, and weight of the ring are entered here. And these marks correspond with the marks my husband put on the inside of every ring. So fine, we could only the it with a magnifying glass. Then, when the ring was sold, he always wrote the word, sold, in this
1: column. Then it will be possible, by checking the remaining stock against this book, to know exactly what merchandise was stolen.
3: Yes, I guess it will be. Well, I must
1: say, Mr. Whitted kept very thorough books.
3: Yes, Gerrit. My husband was a very, thorough. man.
1: Well, Mrs. Willis, if you don't mind, we'll check over the stock right away. Every moment counts, you know. And so the widow of the murdered jeweler checked her husband's stock with the sheriff, choking back the tears as piece by piece recalls some intimate detail of her life, some recollection of an association abruptly and permanently terminated. It is a ghastly past. But the brave woman sees it through, and hours later, the sheriff is in possession of his first real clue, a complete list of the stolen goods. That afternoon, he checked with his deputies at headquarters. Boys, I'm having the list of stolen goods mimeographs. By tomorrow morning, it will be in the hands of the pawn shop details of every police department in the state. It ought to be our biggest single help. Sooner or later, this girl has to pawn some of herself. What makes you so sure it's a one-man job, Lancaster? Well, I just have a feeling it was. I don't know why. Pick up any dope when you were questioning Buttigieg's acquaintances? Nothing of any value. It was well thought of in Crockett. Didn't have any enemies that I could find out about. Strange thing. What's a bloody, vicious murder? I can't understand it. Well, I can tell you one thing. We're going to have a job on our hands after we catch the guy. Why? The people over in Crockett are in an ugly mood. They're talking about lynching. Oh, let them blow off steam, if it makes them feel better. But I can assure you, Lancaster, there won't be any lynching. Not while I'm sheriff. More than two weeks pass by, while the citizens of Prophet cool off. And no news is heard from Sheriff Neal's list of stolen goods. Seventeen days after the crime, the sheriff prepares a second list and broadcasts this one to every police department in the United States. But still, there's no reply. And then, 26 days after the murder, the sheriff calls Deputy Joe Joseph into his office. Joe, some of our stolen goods in that quitted murder has shown up at last. Good. Who is it? Los Angeles. I just got a wire from Chief Speckle. They picked up a ring and watch that were found at the Castle Loan Company. I want you to go down there and find out all about it. Yes, sir. I'm on the way right now. <laughs> morning, Joe Joseph interviewed the proprietor of the pawn shop in Los Angeles. I want to look at that ring and watch you're holding for the police department. And who are you? Liberty Sheriff Joseph of Contra Costa County. Oh, yeah, they said you was coming in. Well, here's the stuff. When were they pawned? Mm, uh, December 20th. Who pawned them? Well, the fellow signed the pawn ticket, Johnny Gometino. I gave him six fifty for the ring and the watch. What did he look like? Oh, uh, he's about 35 I should say. 5 feet, 10 or 11 inches. Good-looking guy. Has curly hair. American? No, maybe a Mexican uh, a mulatto. Okay. Now redeem these things. I uh, want that pawn ticket he signed. Oh, yes, sir. Here's your 6.50. Oh, thank you. I was just wrapping it up with you. Oh, there you are, Joe. Let me cut you. Oh, hello, Eddie. Captain sent me down to tell you we just turned up another ring from your list at the pawn shop over on Broadway. Fine. Right. We'll go right around there. Since I get this <laughs> back. Man new who pawned this ring. Well, let me see now. It is right here on the pawn ticket. Uh, Mike Avilone. Let me see that ticket. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll redeem the ring and take the ticket with me. What did this Mike Avilone look like? Well, I'll tell you. Mm. He might be a Mexican. I don't know. He was a good-looking fellow with black curly hair, but uh, he was thirty-five years old, I think. Mm, well, I guess he was about fifty. pretty definite identification from those two pawnbrokers down in L.A., Sheriff. And I've experted the handwriting on the two pawn tickets, and the names Johnny Domestino and Micah Phillips are in the same handwriting. Sure. I'll run off another list of stuff, including a description of our suspect. I knew he wouldn't lay low too long. Sheriff Vale speaking. Sheriff, this is a constable of those Gatto. Yes? He is a bus driver by the name of Caldwell on the run between Santa and San Jose watch listed on your That's fine. Where can we find him? Probably at the pool Okay, constable. Thank you very much. Joe, so I want you and Bill and Dick Jocelyn to go down to San Jose. Find a bus driver by the name of Caldwell who's on the Santa Cruz run. He's got one of those watches. Okay. Now get the boys and we'll get started. Right <laughs> The Santa Cruz the oh, he know anything about the what? No, I didn't ask him. I want to hear Caldwell's story. Well, that got to be his butt now. Now and then, offered to me for eight bucks. This watch is worth over fifty. Didn't you suspect anything when they offered it for eight? No, only I was afraid it wouldn't pass the railroad inspection. He said it would. We took it across the street to the jewelers, and he said it was okay. When I asked the boss to give me an attack, that's the first was hot. He told me it wasn't. They in the poker game. Well, the watch is hot, red hot. Yeah, yeah, this I know his name. name. I've seen him just a few times when he rides the Santa Cruz runway. What does he look like? Well, he's next, maybe. He's got black curly hair. And... He's about 5'10 and weighs about 170. Now that's right. how do you know? We know a lot about him, but we don't know his name you can't help us out on that? No, I can't. A friend of mine uh, down in Santa Cruz knows my thing. You might ask him. What's his name? Santa Lent. He hangs out at the Pacific School Hall. Okay. Joe, you better get Keith Black to help you look over the pawn shop here in Santa Cruz. All right. Bill will now go down to Santa Cruz and see Mr. (laughs)
0: Lance.
1: Deputies, journeying to Santa Cruz, Jarwin, assisted by Keith Black of San Jose and his men, scour the pawn shop of the city for the missing article. After an intensive day's work, Jarwin discovered one of the rings in a pawn shop run by the door Levine. You say you burned this ring twice? Sure. Once in December 27th, I'd ask you to sell on December twenty seventh, I lost six fellow twenty three dollars on it. Then on the 29th, he come back and redeemed it. But that night he come back again, and he tells me he lost all his money gambling, so he wants a little more on the ring. So I gave him $27 that uh, time. Let me see those tickets? Sure. Just big, huh? Hey. Yeah, look here. One ticket is signed Pete Sanchez and the other Pete Hernandez.
0: Yeah,
1: who they are? I never noticed that before. You sure the same fellow brought the ring in? Ooh, how's this? So am I. The handwriting's the same. And if you ask me, it's the same as the handwriting on the plum tickets we found in Los Angeles. The verifying the comparison of handwriting on the San Jose pawn ticket. Under Sheriff William Deal and Deputy Joseph, have located men in the Santa Cruz
0: pool.
1: Len, <laughs> we're looking for a guy, and we think you know who he is. Well, that ought to Who are you looking for? The fellow that told your friend Caldwell a watch a little while back. He's about five foot ten, looks like a Mexican. Age about thirty five. You know who I mean. Don't know anybody like that. To think sense. carefully. We're investigating a bad beef. I ain't involved. Yeah, well, how do we know? They searched for murder in this place, you know. Yeah, but I no, ain't no, a... no, no, nobody's accusing you. But we just want to know about this friend of yours. What's his name? And I don't know anybody like that. Only Mexican Dan. Mexican Dan what? That's all I know. Where does he live? I ain't sure. Face hard. <laughs> well, maybe he's over at the Tolkic room. And... I am sure. Mm-hmm. The two officers follow the lead to the tall tech room. A seedy flop joint in a disreputable section of town. A frumpy landlady greets. Yeah, what do
2: you want?
1: Is the part of the name of Mexican Dan registered here? No. Age about 35, height five foot 10 good-looking, curly black hair. You're yeah, sure, isn't here.
2: You're a ain't you?
1: Mm-hmm, that's right.
2: Well, now I think of it, I believe I do know who you mean. Yeah, he registered here a week ago and paid up his rent. But he ain't here now. Left in a hurry last night.
1: What's his last name?
2: I never did hear him tell us. Think it's Dutris or something like that.
1: Well, you got a register here, haven't you? Yeah. And his name ought to be on it, shouldn't it?
2: Yeah, I guess so. I never looked. No,
1: no, it's likely you didn't. Let's see that register. Mm-hmm. Here you are. You say that was about a week ago?
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: Uh, here it is, Joe. Dan Droz. Oh, How about it, ma'am? Was his name Droz? It might
2: have been.
1: Matter of fact, you're mighty sure it was, now that you've thought it over, aren't you? Well,
2: uh, yes. I guess it
1: was. Uh, well, what else do you remember now that you've given the matter of mature consideration?
2: That's all I know about him. Don't remember, for
1: instance, where he said he was from.
2: No. Well, I ain't
1: sure. No? It seems like I heard him say he had some relatives living in Merced. Mm, that's fine, ma'am. Nothing like a gold star to refresh the memory, is there? Come on, Joe. Now, look, Joe. I'm going to hang around here and see if I can pick up anything else on Merced. And I want you to get over to Merced and see what they know about him over there. Okay. morning, in Merced, Deputy Joseph looked up his old friend, Officer Louis Frago. Hello, Well, Joe, what's the devil you doing down here? Oh, a little official business. Yeah, yeah. sit down. Here, have a cigar. Hi. Your business, anything I can help you with? Yes, it is, Lloyd. Mm, shoot. You know a fellow from around here by the name of Dan Grosh? Dan Grosh? Sure, I know him. He was born right here in Merced. I've arrested him plenty of times. Yeah. He never had a break in life. Father was a Negro, mother a Mexican. Mother died when he was a baby and left him to shape pretty well for himself. He's been mixed up in a lot of small jobs, robberies, and the like. Not a dangerous character, though. He? I'm afraid you're wrong there, Lou. Looks like he's a murderer. What? Dan, a murderer? Oh, oh no, Joe. You must be wrong. Well, we got good reason to suspect he's the fellow who killed that old jeweler up in Crockett last month. <laughs> right. It just goes to show you can never be sure. We well, can sure. get a look at his record, Laura. Huh? Yeah, well, they got it on file at the sheriff's office down in Fresno. But I can't help feeling you'll find your room. Well, I always look the phone and sort of in Deputy <laughs> Joseph rushes to Fresno, obtains a copy of the criminal record of Dan Grouch, and returns the report to Sheriff Beale in Martinez. Well, Sheriff, I think we've got an identification at last. Fine. What is it? A man named Dan Droich from Merced sold that watch to the bus driver in San Jose. His signature on the hotel register and the signature on his criminal record, which I got in Fresno this morning, tallies with a handwriting on all his phone tickets. Now just look at his record. petty larceny, robbery, forgery, grand theft, reform schools, county jail, penitentiaries. And here's his picture, and complete fingerprint classification. Well, at last, we've got what we're looking for. I'll get out new circulars describing this man as a murderer, and I'll have them in every police station and post office in the United States and Canada by the end of the week. You well, sometimes I wonder how much attention people pay to those men-wanted circulars. Now, this time, I'm going even further. How's that? I'm going to have the story of the murder and these pictures set up and make maps from them. And I'll send those maps to every newspaper in the country asking them to give the story a permanent face. That's a good idea. I'll make a policeman out of every man, woman, and child in this country. But I'm not going to stop... Until I send this bird where he belongs. The newspapers readily comply with Sheriff Field's request for cooperation. But it is not from some distant point that his first assistance comes from the public. It is from his own hometown of Martinez. For the morning after the story appears in the papers, Mrs. Francis E. Upton, proprietor of the Upton Hotel, calls upon the sheriff.
2: Yes, I read about that murder in last night's paper.
1: Yes, Mrs. Upton.
2: Well, that man registered at my hotel on December 2nd, while my night clerk was on duty.
1: Are you sure? Yes.
2: My night clerk recognized him from the picture in the paper. He checked out the next morning, and then that night... The night
1: of December 3rd? That's
2: right. The night of December 3rd, he checked in again, while I was on duty. Now, I know it was the same man, only the first night he gave the name of A. Randall. Second night, he signed the name of G. Oliveira.
1: Uh, did you bring the register with you? No, I
2: didn't know you'd be wanting oh, Well, never
1: mind. I'll send a man over to your place to look at it. I want to compare those signatures with some others I'm collecting. If you're positive that this is the man, Mrs. Upton, then you've helped us a great deal. This places our suspect within seven miles of the scene of the crime the morning it occurred. <laughs> On Mrs. Upton's register do closely resemble the handwriting of the signatures on the pawn ticket. And Sheriff Deal is now absolutely convinced that Dan Roche is the murderer. But despite the constant vigilance of the police, despite the ceaseless work of the Deputy Sheriff, week after week goes by and no trace of Roche. Then, one chill February dawn. 2 shabbily chappellate-dressed men are shuffling along the deserted streets of Phoenix, Arizona. I tell you, Dan, this life's a bunk. The cops kick you out of El Paso and the brakeman kicks you off a train in Tucson. The cops kick you out of Tucson and the shack kicks you off at Phoenix. I wonder how long it'll be before we get kicked out of Phoenix. Uh, I don't care. I wouldn't care about anything if we could only get some grub in me. Yeah, maybe if we got them to yeah. eat, we wouldn't be so cold. Yeah. You know it, Dan. Yeah. We ain't dumb. Why don't we team together a knock over a bank or something? Then we could eat for a while. Uh, hot dough don't stick with you. What do you mean? Oh, I don't know, but I pulled a job a couple of months back. Got away with a nice poke full of hot jewelry. It never done me no good. What do you mean? Oh, I pawned a few pieces and I figured I was hot. So I started tell El Paso, and I went into a new of mine. I used to know in the big house. You know what that dirty so-and-so done? No. why? Well, while I was sleeping one night in the jungle outside of Logsburg, New Mexico, he swiped my poke and took it on the lamp. Can you imagine that? The dishonest rat. Yeah. Hey, Harry, look. What? Right. There's a bread wagon standing in front of that grocery store, and the driver's going around back. Let's, uh, slap ourselves some breakfast. Okay. You Keep your eyes open for the driver, and I'll fetch some bottles. All right. Coast clear? Clear. Mmm, Coffee cake, huh? Still hot. Gee, what a break. Well, what do you think this is? A free lunch? Well, what the? I think I'll have to run you in. They don't like bulls in this town. Well, I was just trying to get something to eat. Well, why don't you go to work for us? Work? Yeah. Try and find anything. Oh, where's my pal? Why don't you run him in, too, Flatfoot? He beat it when he saw me coming. You ought to pick a more reliable lookout when you're planning a job. Come along, now. What you got this guy, on the drunk? No, Sergeant. Got this one stealing bread from a bakery wagon. What's your name? Dan, uh, What? Dan Tenters. Sure, it isn't Dan Grosch. What? No, it's Dan You did a good job this morning, Tom. Probably earned yourself a little reward. Oh, what do you mean? This man is wanted in California for robbery and murder. Then what are you talking about? Look up there on the wall. There's a nice picture of you. And in case you can't read, it says, Wanted for murder and robbery, Dan Grosch. <laughs> reason of insanity, but the jury was unimpressed by his plea, found him sane, and then found him guilty of murder in the first degree. There was no recommendation of clemency, and in spite of his boast that he would never hang Dan Gross' lifeless body swinging from the gibbet in San Quentin in the gray dawn of September 12, 1933, added another human sacrifice on the altar of society, above which is inscribed in flaming letters the legend, Crime does not pay. There are several million movers listening tonight who were induced by this broadcast to try Rio Grande cracked gasoline. You discovered that Rio Grande really was a different gasoline with advantages possessed by no other brand. Now will you accept our sincere recommendation and another superior value. When you buy oil, ask your Rio Grande dealer for Sinclair motor oil. The entire petroleum industry acknowledges the leadership of Sinclair in producing a canned motor oil which is free from wax and which all useless petroleum jelly has been extracted and which lubricates perfectly at the hottest or coldest temperatures where other oils break down. Every technical expert will admit that at only 25 cents for a quart can, Sinclair Opaline motor oil is the greatest oil bargain on this market. Sinclair Pennsylvania motor oil sells for 30 cents for a quart can. Drive into the next Rio Grande station you see. Fill up on cracked gasoline. Get your free copy of the latest Calling All Cars news. Get your free gift for your youngsters. Get Sinclair canned motor oil in your crankcase and you'll get greater value for your money than you've ever got before. Calling all cars, attention all cars, attention all Contra Costa County Sheriff's cars. Cancelation broadcast 117 regarding a murder in Crockett. Suspects in this case are now in custody. That's all. Frederick Lindsay bidding you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.